future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Everybody, 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 welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes, it is Monday News Roundup, but yes, it is Monday, February 12th, 2024. Welcome to Raging Chickens Out the Coop Live. It's going to be a Q&A. Let's hear a little bit about what you've got going on in your neck of the woods tonight. Uh, a little bit of discussion about some things in the news and looking forward to let you know a little about some shows coming up. I'm very, very excited. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards and across the country. You can also join us at the end of the week whoop, whoop, for our Friday Politics Roundup, although this week's going to be a little bit different. News about that in a minute. <clears throat> Usually we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. We'll get into a little of that tonight. And you can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. You can also help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. If you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. And leave a comment to let other folks know why you like the show and share that link out. Little things like this help other people find the show. I've got a little bit of a special ask on this one tonight. Um, I don't know if you saw the news. We'll talk a little bit more about it in a second. But Blue Sky, which is the big uh, Twitter kind of uh, contender um, built by Jack Dorsey from the one who founded Twitter. And it's meant to be a much more open platform, getting away from the uh, the absolutely insanity that's happening over there on Twitter uh, with Elon Musk. Well, they just opened up their platform finally up until uh, last week. It was, or yeah, last week it was invite only. This week it is, uh, everybody can go in there and join. You can go over and become a participant in that community, B-S-K-Y, that's bsky.app, A-P-P. BSKY.app, APP. All right, you go over there, you can sign up for there. It's very similar to Twitter. Uh, it'll be very, very similar. And, uh, you know, frankly, I would love to be able to get off the bird site. <laughs> and, uh, but you know what? The problem is we've got over 27 people, 2,700 people following us over on the bird site. Um, and we're just starting to build our audience on Blue Sky. So if you head on over to Blue Sky, we can get away from Elon Musk, stop feeding the beast get on over to blue sky and start to kind of building that out it's a lot it's a much more sane place to be uh, i'll tell you that anyways back to this if you're looking for more pa progressive talk tune into the rick smith show's live stream at 9 p.m eastern check him out on his youtube channel twitter facebook wherever you get your streams and you subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcast go to the ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast if you haven't already. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast. Rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. 
subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And the Signal, of course, has got their podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. Let me switch that around to get it. The Bucks County Beacon has got their podcast, The Signal. What am I doing here? The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by yours truly. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. Check it out at thebuckscountybeacon.podbean.com or The Signal. And also check out The Civic Circle. That is another podcast from the Bucks County Beacon that tackles politics and policy from a Gen Z lens. Sarah Zhang, Mallory Marzen, and Alexandra Coffey are students from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And once a month, they chat about activism, advocacy, and all the political happenings affecting their generation today. You check them out at the, or just civiccircle.podbean.com. That's civiccircle.podbean.com. Their latest episode just dropped last week. We've got a new episode of The Signal dropping Wednesday. And for all you gamers out there, The Game In is a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show. They've got everything from Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops, and kids get discounts with every and the report card. you got to love it. Check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at The Game In. That's with two N's. Got a question about a game, look for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. Shout out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. You can check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at songadayman, two N's, at songadayman on Twitter. Well, we've got some exciting shows coming up here uh, in the next couple of weeks, I'm very happy to say. Um, basically, uh, you might have recalled a little article that just dropped in Vanity Fair called How the Far Right Took Over a Pennsylvania School Board and How Parents Took It Back. Um, that was a little piece written by Catherine Joyce. Catherine Joyce, of course, has been on this show before. She's an investigative editor at in these times, and she basically... Uh, wrote the story that I have been waiting to see for so long. It is the story of how the community organized in the Penridge School District and overturned the extremist and won. Um, Catherine Joyce's latest piece in Vanity Fair, she is going to be on the show this Friday. Um, we're trying to nail down a time right now. If uh, she gets back to me on the time today, I'll let you know before we get out of here today. But otherwise, check your socials. I'll look for that. Um, it's going to be a special Friday during the day, a Friday um, episode. But don't worry, of course, if you miss it, you got to work. I totally get it. Um, it will be live up on um our YouTube channel, it'll be on our podcast, and it will be, of course, on our Patreon. So uh, do check that out. Um, that's Catherine Joyce. This coming up this Friday, um, we'll be talking about her piece in Vanity Fair, how the right wing took over a Pennsylvania school board and how parents took it back. I'm very excited about that. Um, you may, Catherine was on the show, um, God, a, a couple months ago now, a few months ago now. Um, and she's just amazing. I mean, her work is, uh, has been instrumental in my mind in tracking the rise of the religious right um, and um, the impact they are having on policy. Um, she's a fantastic journalist. She's just an all around, just kind of just great person. And uh, I look forward to talking to her more again on Friday. And then on Monday, uh, February 26th, that's 
kind of a week and a half away. Um, we'll be talking to Steve Oros and potentially his lawyer. Um, we looks like we got that locked down, um, but we'll just be making sure that everything's going to pan out. The Steve Oros on 7 p.m. on Monday, February 26th. Remember, Steve Oros is the faculty member uh, who had open heart surgery and the administration there, um, Kenneth Hawkinson, President Kenneth Hawkinson in particular, um, basically pushed a policy that was forcing everyone back in in-person classrooms, um, despite the fact that COVID was still rampant in the fall of 2021. Um, having open heart surgery, um, Steve was in, doing a great job recovering, was uh, got the permission to go back to teaching as long as it was virtual, because if he was exposed and got COVID when he was still recovering from his open heart surgery, he could die. So he put things in, you know, put his requests in, said, hey, this is great news. I could come back and teach. But they denied his accommodations, denied um, accommodations of the American Disability Act um, and just divided, denied it out of hand. Uh, well, that's been an ongoing court case. He won an initial court case. He just won an appeals uh, case in federal court, which uh, basically found that, you know, Kutztown University administration knowingly and purposely put in a policy that was designed to deny people for of accommod for their accommodations of the American Disability Act for anything that was related to COVID. So, and then they basically uh, told everyone that, well, okay, if a person says that they want uh, accommodations, we're going to deny them. So they had already done that, had already decided ahead of time they were not going to kind of consider people's individual circumstances, which is a requirement under the law. They just won this big federal case, um, and um, it has implications for um, how the ADA Act, uh, or implications for, uh, like, nationally, really, about the American Disabilities Act and um, how accommodation works and the uh, denials um, and the erosion of protections of the American Disability Act. Um, and according, uh, from what I understand, um, there there's some possibility that this case can um, will become part of a bigger case up that will be going forward to the Supreme Court. So um, what we'll do on that show, um, one is that give you a little kind of reminder of what the case was about. Um, but have uh, opportunity to dig in a little bit what the judge found. The judge was scathing um, uh, in, in its evaluation of what Kutztown University administration, Kenneth Hawkinson and the rest of their crew did there. Um, there was like no question about how in the wrong they were and knowingly in the wrong they were all the time denying that they had done that the very thing that they did. So uh, it's going to be, I think, a really great conversation, a great follow-up with Steve. So that's Friday, this Friday at the 16th. We'll be talking to Catherine Joyce about her piece in the Vanity Fair about the Penridge School District and the parents and community members who fought back and won. And then on Monday, the 26th, we're talking to Steve Oros uh, about his victory in federal court. So I'm very much looking forward to this. We've been, um, I have been really attempting to, uh, trying to kind of think about doing some more interviews um, now and um, bringing in more folks to comment about what's happening locally and then give us a little bit more context. Um, I've got like several irons in the fire right now. I know you hear me say this all the time, but it's, it's generally true. Um, we may have somebody for the 19th too as well, but I'll let you let you know if that is going to go down. Um, and if uh, we don't have somebody for the 19th, then we'll see if we can move it to uh, then either we'll have an open show like tonight or we'll um, 
uh, or we'll let you know who's going to be there. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, Emily, uh, great question. Uh, thinking about Steve's health. Steve is doing well. Um, he is teaching. He has been, he, uh, you know, I, I, I give this guy so much credit. I can't even tell you. He showed up at the beginning of the, uh, the year. There's this kind of like opening day, you know, or beginning of the semester, I guess it was a big opening day, beginning of the year too, opening day, um, uh, kind of celebrations. He was out there handing out kind of his court case to people so they could be informed of what was going on, what the judge was finding. Um, he has been, um, now he's been appearing on other kind of podcasts, um, other shows that have been focused on his case, in particular kind of say uh, podcasts or news sites that are focused on questions of disabilities. It's been great seeing Steve out there telling a story beyond kind of the Kutztown University or kind of our region. Um, because it does have national implications. Um, when employers knowingly violate the ADA or they refuse to give individual accommodations, um, the, these courts are basically saying you can't do that. <laughs> like, I mean, we've already decided this, right? This is not doing this. And it also goes to show the kind of hubris that these employers feel that they could just go ahead. They could lie to your face. This is what Kenneth Hawkinson, President Kenneth Hawkinson at Kutztown University did to all of us faculty members, to our faculty union, to Steve Oros himself, to his lawyers. They, they constructed bald-faced lies saying that they didn't have any policy that was going to deny accommodations to everyone. No, 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 they didn't have it. They still had a process. No. It was, we suspected it going in when you heard Steve on this show before the same issue was, you know, he's like, no, you know, they knew, they knew what they were doing. And sure enough, this court case not only finds that, yes, they knew what they were doing. They have the receipts, right? They've got the documents showing that they knowingly did it and then turned to the public and lied. So Kutztown University has going to have to, is going to pay money right? One for hiring all these lawyers to defend a case that was knowingly wrong. And now they're going to pay damages, right? And that's a cost that gets passed on to students, right? And taken away from the other educational missions because Kenneth Hawkinson and his administration at Kutztown University were so stubborn and their idea that we're going to have grit and fortitude and get back to in-person class because that's who we are. As I've said before, Right. As you've probably may have seen it on here. This is like, you know, that guy, the king in Shrek, when he gets out there, he says, some of you may die, but it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. That's Kenneth Hawkinson. So, uh, you know, I, I hope you turn out and I hope you'll talk around to support Steve. I think he's going to have some uh, suggestions about how we can actually help. Um, and um, the attention on his case uh, has been really important. So Catherine Joyce um, on the Penridge School District from her article in, in uh, Vanity Fair coming up this Friday. Sometime during the day, I'll let you know details as that comes up. And Steve Oros on Monday the 26th. Um, so pretty awesome. As you can tell, I'm pretty thrilled. <laughs> oh, God. So I'd love to hear what's happening for everybody out there. Uh, thanks for everybody for tuning in. Um, if you've got things that are happening in your community, there's updates, things you think we should be paying attention to. Um, I'd love to hear what's on your mind. Love to hear what you've been uh, kind of grappling with as of late. Right before the show tonight, we got the notification that we're actually getting, um, uh, there's going to be a snow day in the Penridge School District tomorrow. Um, 
So it like literally came in at like, you know, like 658, the phone call rang and I'm looking at the numbers and all oh, that looks like that number. I better go check it out. My daughter had already picked up the phone. Yes. And dancing around. Um, so you got a little snow day. So it sounds like it's going to be a legit snow day tomorrow. Like actually with snow, um, that it's going to feel a little bit like winter. It uh, hasn't felt much like winter for the past several days as what temperatures over this weekend hit in the sixties. It was pretty crazy. Uh, that's our climate future, but, um, uh, I don't know about you, but the snow is going to do me good. Uh, as someone who comes from the snow belt, it's uh, pretty, pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. I love the snow and I, and I really miss it. <laughs> um, there you go. So, yeah, so let me know what's on your mind. I got a few things that I think would be kind of important to touch on today. Um, one, uh, speaking of climate stuff, I don't know if you saw this, but um, Michael Mann, uh is you know he is the the scientist he's the climate scientist who faintly kind of produced this graph called the hockey stick you know it's that thing that kind of shows that like you know for a long time temperatures on the planet were pretty stable maybe going up a little bit but pretty stable then they went like this after you know with industrialization so basically to demonstrate pretty definitively that with industrialization and the burning of fossil fuels that we were warming the planet Right, that became folded into uh, was one of one of the the version of the graph was featured in Al Gore's, um, you know, kind of award winning documentary on climate change, on an inconvenient truth. Um, but Michael Mann paid a price for this, right? He's a scientist, right? He was doing scientific work, and once he started publishing his findings about the burning of fossil fuels and the the direct connection to uh, climate change. He was uh, targeted um, with these multi-million, if not billion-dollar attacks, and they were designed to uh, destroy him, really. Destroy his reputation, destroy his work, and make him uh, like a persona non grata in kind of public circles, right? To make him sound crazy. Well, he just won a defamation lawsuit. Defamation lawsuits in the United States are not right? Easy to win, right? They're easy to win over in the UK. They've got different sets of laws. But when you're talking about a public figure and you're talking about comments that are being made about a public figure, it's very difficult. Uh, it's an uphill road to demonstrate um, defamation. Well, he just won his case. Um, so I'll, I'll read you here just a little bit. This is a little uh, kind of bright up from The Guardian, um, just so that, you know, I, I think this deserves a little space and time. Um, given the fact that he was uh, shot and he's, you know, it's in Pennsylvania. He was a, uh, he was a uh, professor at Penn state university. He has since left Penn state. Now he's at UPenn uh, kind of in their climate Institute down there. Um, so this is a big deal. So as reported in the guardian, the high profile climate scientist, Michael Mann has been awarded $1 million by a jury in a defamation lawsuit against two conservative writers who compared his depictions of global heating to the work of a convicted child molester. No joke. The case stretches back 12 years. <clears throat> I'm sorry. The case, the case stretches back 12 years. In a statement posted on man's, um, uh, man's Twitter account or X account, one of his lawyers said, quote, today's verdict vindicates Michael Mann's good name and reputation. It is also a big victory for truth and scientists everywhere who dedicate their lives to answering vital scientific questions impacting human health and the planet. Man rose to fame for a graph first published in 1998, the journal Nature, that was dubbed the hockey stick, which I was talking about. 
Um, the work brought man then at Penn State and now at the University of Pennsylvania wide exposure, and it was included in the report by Al Gore's documentary, as I was telling you. Emails from Mann and other scientists were leaked in a 2009, in 2009 in an incident known as Climate Gate, which was completely manufactured. With climate, with climate denialists claiming that Mann manipulated data, investigations by Penn State and others, including an examination of the emails by the Associated Press, found no misuse of data by Mann. Regardless, in 2012, the Competitive Enter Enterprise Institute, a libertarian think tank, published a blog post by Rand Simberg that compared investigations by Penn State University into Mann's work with a case of Jerry Sandusky, a former assistant football coach who was convicted of sexually assaulting multiple children. Quote, Mann could be said to be the Jerry Sandusky of climate scientists, except for instead of molesting children, he had his molested and tortured data, Simberg wrote. Another writer, Mark Stein, um, Stein S-T-Y-N, later referenced Simberg's article in his own piece in National Review calling Mann's research fraudulent. Mann sued both men and their publishers, and in 2021, a judge dismissed the two outlets as defendants, saying they could not be held liable, but the claims against the individuals remained. Simberg and Stein argued they were merely expressing their opinion. According to the Mann Legal's team statement, the four-week jury trial in District of Columbia Superior Court resulted in punitive damages $1,000 against Simberg and a million dollars against Stein. I hope this verdict sends a message that falsely attacking climate scientists is not protected speech, Man said. This is a huge deal, right? Now, again, this is a high, high-profile case, but um, the, the, the bigger issue here, by attacking man and by attacking man so directly, what they essentially did is they, like, chilled all kind of discussion of scientists. Um, this has been discussed, like, quite a bit over the years now, where once those attacks on Michael Mann happened, right, who was, he was really a leader in climate scientists, other scientists were also very reluctant to go, to get too public with their warnings. Um, there's some suggestion that these kind this kind of like, you know, well-funded anti, uh, or, you know, climate denial industry um, that stemmed initially from the Heartland Institute, which was significantly funded by Exxon and other kind of big oil companies and other kind of billionaires. That institute had a conscious effort to kind of produce and promote climate denial. Um, and they would also go on to attack climate scientists. Um, none of them as more as, as, as high profile as those two writers um, who uh, man won a suit against, uh, but nonetheless, that put a, you know, damper on scientists' willingness to speak out, right, in very direct terms. Now, we've seen a turn in that, right, um, over the past, you know, the past several uh, UN climate reports that have come out of, uh, you know, their, their climate size, the IPCC, have been um, much more forthright in, one, not um, kind of mincing words when it comes to the causes of climate change being the burning of fossil fuels, the fact that we have to get off of the burning of fossil fuels in like, oh, six years, um, that sooner, um, this is a big deal. And this goes against the backdrop, right, of the fact that this past year, right, 2023 was the first time in recorded history, <laughs> right, that we have breached the 1.5 degrees of warming level. 1.5 degrees Celsius warming. 
Why is that significant? Well, as you've been listening to the show, you know it's significant because the IPCC, the UN's climate teams, basically have found that we have to hold heating below 1.5 degrees if there's a if there's if we're to avoid significant catastrophe. Initially, the agreement, like the the, the Paris Agreement, um, which the Trump administration refused to sign, but the Paris Agreement or refused to renew, I guess. What he refused to sign, or uh, what he refused to renew, the 1.5 degree, originally was two degrees of warming, right? In part because they recognized we are on the track, we are on the track to get way past 1.5 degrees, right? So they said two degrees. But then you had all these amazing speeches and amazing um, kind of, uh, of public discussions from, from uh, you know, leaders of island nations who are saying that two degrees is a death sentence for our nation and culture because at two degrees of warming the science shows that those island nations will be underwater so because of the pushback right of those folks <laughs> right the paris said okay they you know had to deal it deal with the truth right 1.5 degrees warming is all we can go we're already there now So the more protections that we get through these kind of lawsuits where Michael Mann wins this lawsuit, the more important that is going to be going forward because we're going to need to hear like the God's honest truth going forward. Right. I mean, and that, and that's, you know, I, I don't know what else to say because some significantly difficult choices have to be made. And that, and I'm not just talking about individuals changing light bulbs. I mean, we're talking society wide changes. Naomi Klein famously said, this changes everything, right? And it does. And it is going to require to change everything if we are going to save the planet. If we are going to save millions and millions and millions of people's lives, billions of dollars of property damage, and many of the kind of cities and nations and places that we love if we want to keep them, you know, somewhat accessible. So big win for uh, Michael Mann. Um, <clears throat> Of course, the Trump stuff has just been absolutely all kind of crazy. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm slowly kind of dipping my, you know, dipping my toe back in the uh, national politics stuff because I just think it's an absolute disaster. Uh, but nonetheless, it's going to be important for us, obviously, going forward. Um, there, uh, at this point, there doesn't seem to be a heck of a lot of excitement, um, um, especially among the kind of the center to the broad left. Um, for Joe Biden, um, his his poll numbers continue to be kind of like, eh, right? The big meh is all across the Biden administration. Um, and look, we can talk to we're blue to we're blue in the face about all the things that the Biden administration like accomplished, right? And look, just we just talked about climate. The biggest climate package that has ever been passed in this country's history was passed um, under Biden, right? And it was not the one he wanted. The one he wanted was so much better, right? The Build Back Better plan, that was the kind of investment we needed in our future. But because of the Republicans in this country and Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, the two conservative Democrats, because of them, right, they did not pass the Build Back Better bill. And because of the Democratic Party's unwillingness to abandon the rules of the House and allow for a simple majority. I mean, <clears throat> there's a whole lot of things. Now, again, yes, again, eventually, once, once we see this, 
I'm not going to go through it all again. There's several things that could have been done um, with a more forceful uh, uh, Democratic Party leadership. But there's still, you know, this is the problem of having, you know, people leading our country, right, who cut their teeth in politics in the 1990s and 1980s. The world that we live in now requires a new generation of leaders, right? Ones that are not afraid to speak the truth, ones that are not afraid to push the envelope. You know, this is always the hope of the, you know, of the squad. That crew and the, and the, the people that they bring in on their coattails. It's the generation of, of leaders that we need. And the reason why so many people are meh about Biden, you know, you ask about specific with his policies. It's not that they're like, they hate his policies. It's just like everyone thinks the guy is too old. Right. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like saying like, look, oh, it's his memory and he's too old and he's senile and all that kind of, look, we all know the right wing, the right wing playbook, right? They're doing, my wife was even saying this the other day. She's like, look, the same thing they did to Hillary Clinton, right? They're going to come out with this report and they're going to use the report to bludgeon Joe Biden with, and that's going to raise questions in people's minds about his competence for office. And meanwhile, they're going to avoid any criticism of Trump, right? The fact that you know, that guy is practically off his rocker across the bay. He's basically saying that, you know what? Tell him the world. Yep. When I went out, you know, I met with the NATO leaders. I told him, look, if you don't pay your, if you don't pay your dues, you know, if you don't kind of fund your militaries and what you agreed to, then we're going to, we're going to encourage Putin to invade your country. What? And he just basically has been out there telling that story again. Where's the scrutiny there in the same way? Right. The fact is, you know, look, and again, this is, this is, there's, I, I understand reasons, right? I know reasons because people th- expect Trump to be crazy, right? They expect him all this kind of stuff and his people love it. But the problem is, is that look, we need it kind of to have me matched on the other side, right? We need to basically have a political movement on the other side. That's going to be able to match that kind of enthusiasm. And I hate to say it, it's like, you know, that's what we lost, like when Bernie Sanders did not get the nomination. Right? I, I, I'm not, I'm not, want to kind of relitigate the kind of like Sanders Clinton stuff, right? I mean, but I'm, but as a, I think as a historical context, what Bernie Sanders, the campaign of Bernie Sanders brought to the fore were the ideas and the energy and the ethos that we need going forward. Now, the second time around when Bernie ran again, I mean, look, look, the problem that we have now, even with Bernie Sanders, right? You know, and I know, I know there's some people who are going to be diehard Bernies forever, but look, Bernie Sanders is old too. And that is, you know, again, I'm not saying, well, Bernie Sanders is incompetent too. And well, that's not the point. The point is, is that in a democracy, your government is supposed to reflect the people. And you need to basically see it to be it, right? And whether it's the image of Bernie Sanders or the image of Joe Biden, that does not reflect 
the vast majority of people in this country anymore. And I don't know if it ever did. So, I mean, th those things kind of, you know, deeply, deeply concerned, concern me. Amy says the Dems, hey, Amy, what's going on? The, uh, the Dems have failed in this arena, and I'm so tired of their mainstream bland candidates. Me too. Me too. And, you know, the, the problem is, you know, I, I, you know, and I'm sure I'm not telling everybody out there things that anyway, we have this conversation over and over and over again. Right. I, I had this conversation with, you know, with, with some people at Kutztown last week and, you know, who were like passionate say, that's it. I can't, you know, I can't vote for, I can't vote for the democratic party. I can't vote for that. I'm going to vote for Cornell West when we run, or I'm going to vote for blah, blah, blah. And look, I think like presidential campaigns on the part of the left at the last minute through another celebrity is a failed enterprise. All it does is assuage the feelings of people. It makes me feel like, okay, I did something that was a, was, I'm going to send them, I'm going to give them a lesson, but I'm telling you, they do not learn a lesson. The lesson that they learn is there's like two to 3% of Americans who are disgruntled. And in that, look, and I, Look, I say this as somebody who, when I lived in Washington, D.C., I campaigned for Ralph Nader, right? And I campaigned for Ralph Nader. I was actually, you know, worked the, uh, worked the polls, right, for him. I, you know, went out and lobbied for him, right, and all that kind of stuff. And that was a high-stakes election, as we know. The Supreme Court decided that election. And I was in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. hasn't elected a Republican for anything in, like, forever. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's like, it was, I was invested in, there was excitement about Nader's campaign and there was actually, it looked like at the time that they're going to build something for the long haul. There was a strategy, right. That wasn't simply about like, Oh, the two parties suck. Yeah, there was that. But it was like, you know, you need to vote kind of because the two parties have let you down. Just vote against them because they don't deserve your vote. Well, that, that's not a strategy. That's grievance. But the strategy at that point, the strategy at that time, the Nader campaign is, hey, look, and this is what, you know, we learned, right? I remember learning this for the first time. It's like, look, in order to be included, and he was running out of the Green Party at that time. This was when the Green Party had, you know, some possibilities of doing something. It's like, so we need to kind of like get the 5%, right? You get 5% of showing up in enough, uh, like I kind of like nationwide polls or different regions, whatever, then you're get, excuse me, guaranteed, guaranteed a place on the ballot. That was the first hurdle, right? And the idea was that you can build from there. Once you're guaranteed a place on the ballot, then that means things like, oh, then they have to consider like including you in debates. That means that you are kind of a guaranteed um, kind of matching funds, right? And for the federal elections, right? Uh, that kind of stuff. And those are real infrastructure, party building kind of things, right? And at the same time, because it was high stakes, you had Al Gore was, again, once again, not a good political candidate. You might love his politics, but the guy was not a good political candidate. And so that was a problem. You had George W. Bush, and that was, that was a big deal, right? 
So Michael Moore, for example, was out there basically saying, look, he was supporting Nader, but he was also somebody, and I agreed with him, basically said, okay, look, if you're a Nader voter in Washington, D.C., for example, vote for Nader, right? Because look, even if like, if Nader got 20% of the vote in Washington, D.C., Al Gore's still going to win. <laughs> He's still going to win. Why? Because there were so many Democrats and there was like a tiny number of Republicans. But Moore is also saying, look, this is, there's too much at stake here. So if you're in Florida where the polls are like close, vote for Gore. Right. That was a kind of like an understanding of like what was kind of happening and what you're trying to do and the difficulties of doing that. Okay. There's all sorts of things that were flawed in that. And I could tell you working in the polls, like for Nader in Washington, DC and telling people this and having, because that was primarily what you're, you're trying to kind of like getting people to understand in a very short period of time. Hey, look there. And we had the numbers. I can't remember the percentages, but 90 some odd percentage of the, of the residents of, of Washington, DC are, are registered Democrat. I said, you can vote for Nader and feel good about your vote for Nader, right? At the same time, you're not going to jeopardize Al Gore's nomination. This is about party building long-term. But, you know, again, that runs against the tradition of American politics when we vote because we want to feel like our vote is kind of, it, it, it kind of matters, right? And look, I get it. I, I, I look at the, <laughs> the, 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 the candidates that the Democratic Party offers since Clinton, I, I, I have had deep problems with, right? And it is, it, yes, I have that same feeling. I'm voting for this, I'm voting for this person. And do I feel like, you know, this person represents me, is going to represent, no, right? What I'm doing is like, you know, I'm trying to kind of make sure, I'm trying to ensure that we get one more day to fight, <laughs> right? That's all that matters. Right. We saw what Trump did. Right. This is how I look at it. We saw what Trump did. We saw what George Bush did. We got an entire new like international security apparatus and surveillance apparatus because of that dude after 9-11. There's significant consequences. <clears throat> and so, yes, the Dems, they continue to fail on a national level into really pushing the envelope and actually building a kind of a party, like a fighting party and making inroads where they haven't made it before and proposing policies, bold policies where people can see a different version of the future. But the Republicans want to destroy shit. And so when I'm voting, when I'm voting for a Democrat, like I'm going to vote for Joe Biden this year, unless something happens, right? You know, who knows? People are like, oh, I hear Michelle Obama filed papers. Yeah, whatever. You can talk all you want until I see that actually something like a public filing or something like this is not going to matter. <clears throat> right now, for all practical purposes, Joe Biden is the is the is the nominee. And if that continues and he gets the, the official nomination, I am going to vote for him in the fall. Am I going to feel great about it? Am I going to feel enthusiastic? No, but I am going to basically you know do what I can to make sure that I get people out to vote because I want to I want the ability to fight one more day. We said this the we said this the last election. We said this this past this past fall's election. <clears throat> election the voting on election day does not determine the does, it should not write the timeline. Our timeline has to be longer than that.
This is one of the things I love about, you know, not to plug it too much, but Catherine Joyce's piece on what happened in Penridge. And this is, you've heard me talk about this on the show too, as well. It was like, this wasn't just like, you know, a one and done. This wasn't like people just said like, oh, we got some bad people on the school board. So what, what should we do? Oh, let's run for office. And they just like snapped their fingers, built an organization, had candidates that ran and won. No, there was a minimum of three election cycles with a group of people who stayed in this to build the party and to build the organization further. These are folks that are actually interviewed in Catherine Joyce's piece. So you should definitely check it out. The whole idea was that, look, they stayed in and they built over time. And those folks who won that election and the, the organization that was built to kind of, you know, get out the vote that went door knocking and did all this stuff. That is so absolutely critical because they built something from the ground up. And it, to some degree, they put their kind of like, you know, right there to the Democratic Party. And what I mean by the Democratic Party, I mean, they ran as Democrats. Don't get me wrong. But they also learned that, you know, some of these consultants that the Democratic Party sends in don't know shit about what's actually, excuse me, what's happening in our communities. They're going off some kind of like, you know, tested playbook that all the data analytical blah, 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 blah. They're messaging for people who don't really exist. What they did here in this community is they campaigned as living, breathing human beings to other living, breathing human beings on the behalf of candidates who are also living, breathing human beings. They weren't poll tested individuals. They weren't focus grouped messaged. There were people who cared about their community and they talked to other people who cared about their community and they won. That's what the Democrats have to get in, get in their mind. And we do not have that kind of party infrastructure in the democratic party. For me. And again, <clears throat> I'm 100% willing to hear all the disagreements and the criticisms of this position. I I'm, I'm aware of many of them myself, but <clears throat> from my perspective, the best possibility, like if you're somebody who really cares about a third party, who thinks that our politics are fundamentally broken in this two party system and we're rapidly going down in fire, <clears throat> And so you think the only way out is their part, you know, for me, the squad is what you need. You need that wedge. You need the wedge inside the Democratic Party. They've already done this on the Republican, Republican Party. You can see the Republican Party today is run by the extreme elements of the party with Donald Trump as the little cherry on the top. They dictate policy and the, the quote-unquote normies, right? The normies in the Republican Party are scared crapless, right? They're scared out of their minds of those folks, <clears throat> even though they only represent a minority of the elected officials. The, the quote-unquote normies go along with the extremists to help make everything more extreme. They built a constituency of people. And look, I understand all the arguments about where the money is and like how much money is over there and the billionaires that you've heard us talk about this on the show as long as the show has been on the air. Right? 
the same kind of thing has got to happen in the Democratic Party. I'm sorry. There has to be the wedge. And we're seeing, for example, and it's a really complicated one, right? But we're seeing the fractures right now when it comes to what's happening in Israel and Gaza. We are basically, we're standing here on the eve, not just of a snowstorm here in the backyard, but on the eve of a potential genocidal act on the part of the Israeli government. The Israeli government has driven the Palestinian people out of their homes, civilians out of their homes, said, go south where it's safe. And as they went south, they bombed them and killed them. Go to this location, go to this refugee camp, and that'll be safe. And then they go to the refugee camp, and the Israeli government bombs them and kills them. And then they say, our goal is to get everybody to Rafah, right on the, right on the kind of Egyptian border. You'll be safe there. What do they just do? They just killed more. For what they say, they went in there to save these two hostages, and they did. They saved two hostages. They were still hostages that were in Rafah. And they killed dozens of kids and people. And you got the Biden administration sitting there going like, well, Israel's our friend. We stand by Israel. Uh, uh. Even the Biden administration is having difficulty kind of like squaring the circle on this one now. Because Israel's, the Israeli government is so extreme. And so genocidal in its actions. And they're, again, once again, they're afraid. They, they're, they're motivated by fear. I saw this, like, this exchange that happened the other day. And you've probably seen a version of this, right? Where you have an Israeli official who comes out and basically says, what are you telling me to do? What do you think? You think we should stand by, right? As, like, as these Hamas, these Hamas, like, Militants come and rape and kill our citizens like in cold blood. There is nobody on the planet that I know of who is saying you should just stand by and allow that to happen and just say, oh, shucks, it's okay. Nobody's saying that. From what I see, the vast majority of folks are sitting there saying like, that was, that was, Horrific, and all those people should be punished. No doubt. That that was an act of terrorism and slaughter and brutality. Anti-Semitic, right across the board. Annihilation of those people, right? But that doesn't give you a blank, like I give you like a clean slate or like, a, you know, a get out of jail free card to go and commit genocide of your own. That's insane to me. And the Israeli official comes on and says, you'd expect us to stand by? And you see these people, these like mainstream Democrats being like, oh, well, uh, no, well, we don't. And they try to like, Blinken sits there and he says this nonsense. And you have the vast, look, all the polls show the vast majority of the Democratic Party, the people when you talk to the people who are registered Democrats, right, are not with the Biden administration on this. And guess what? The vast majority of people can do two things at once. They can say the Israeli government should not be allowed to commit genocide. And we have to make sure 
that this doesn't lead to anti to, to more further anti-Semitism against Jewish people. Right? Most people can make the distinctions. <clears throat> but as I'll say this and I'll say it again and again and again and again, and as Naomi Klein said, we have to be on the side of the children, not the guns. That might be a little reductive for your mind. I don't know. But for me, that makes that's it's clear. You can be for protecting Palestinian people and protecting Jewish people and Israeli citizens. None of those kids should be slaughtered mercilessly. None of them should be kind of raped and brutalized. That's what you need to stand with. You could be against the Israeli government and support the right of Jewish people to exist. I mean, come on. I mean, how brain dead do you have to be to see that as a problem or as a contradiction? I mean, seriously. And yet you have these spokespeople from the Israeli government that are come out there and you have, you know, like, like Democrats and these kind of mainstreamy folks are kind of like, oh, like, oh, you know, and they're worried that they're going to be called anti-Semitic because they saw like they saw what the right wing did to all those uh, university presidents, right? Drove them into resignations and firings, right? I mean, and they're afraid of it. As opposed to being able to articulate another version of the events. I'm the Jews for Peace organization. They're doing it. They've been out there from the beginning saying, because we were the victims of genocide, we will not stand by and allow for another genocide to exist. Our job, the lesson of history has been that we need to prevent any people who are going to be, sub be subjected to genocide. Again, not a difficult position to have. It is one thing to know that in war, this and this is not a war. I mean, this is, these are kind of, militias, terrorist organizations, you know, they're funded from these different governments all in this network of kind of like corruption and terror, right? Yeah, they're all that kind of stuff, right? But to say there's a war of like Hamas and Israeli in Israel, as if these are two equal thing, equal side, is just it's just crazy to me. And, you know, I really appreciate, you know, I've said this on the show before, and I'm just going to say it again, is that, you know, I really appreciate what, what um, uh, Sam Cedar and the Majority Report kind of says about this. It was like, you know, as he is someone who says, like, you know, look, I support there being a state of Israel, right? He said, but he said, if, if, if the state of Israel, what is happening right now is the biggest threat to the existence of Israel and Jewish people. What is happening right now is a bigger threat to Jews than anything else. Because once there's any sense, any, I mean, look, I don't want to get into all the, the, the complications around Israel. I, I, I know there's a really deep, I'm not speaking from my position on this. I'm just saying Sam Cedar basically saying this, look, I've supported. However, what I'm going to say, you know, he, what he says is like, what's happening right now, you're going to basically strip any kind of legitimacy away. You're basically going to say that, you were a state that was supposedly founded because of the reality of genocide, and now you have become the oppressor. 
you have become the executioner. You don't, you don't, that's a difficult road back from that. And the more that Netanyahu goes on TV and basically says things, you have to remember, he was just, I was watching this interview this afternoon. You got to remember, this is not just the Israeli government. This is the Israeli people. This is the will of the Israeli people. When he says that, and the next act is to go and commit genocide, he's telling the world that all the Israeli people are behind that. And that is not true. And he puts all of them in danger. So, <clears throat> anyways, I was really not planning on going into all that tonight. <laughs> so, like, to such a degree. But it's just like, this is just one of these things, right? Uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, what else did I want to talk about tonight? The other thing, tomorrow's a big day. Uh, no, and not because it's another snow day. But because uh, tomorrow is a special election in Pennsylvania. And this is the Pennsylvania's 140th district. Um, and this spe special election is going to determine the majority of the Pennsylvania State House. Right now, the Democrats hold basically, by you know, they have majority by a thread. So Jenny Stevens did a great article on this and I was going to read, read a little bit from her thing just so you know this, this this is kind of going out. So Tuesday's special election in Pennsylvania's 140th district between Democrat Jim um, Prokopiec and Republican Candace Cabanas will determine more than who will provide representation to local constituents. It will determine whether Democrats retain control of the state house. The chamber was a 101 to 101 tie before a Republican state legislator resigned on Friday in a safe Republican district. So this race will still effectively determine who maintains control of the legislative body moving forward. Describing Bucks County as a, quote, perennial bellwether, unquote, Democratic Legislative Cam Cam Campaign Committee President Heather Williams sees the special election as one of the most important races of the year. Quote, the stakes of Tuesday's election truly couldn't be higher. We know the future of abortion, abortion access and fundamental rights in Pennsylvania are on the line, Williams said prior to introducing um, Prokopiak in a Zoom press conference on Friday. Quote, if we flash back to 2022 when Republicans controlled both state chambers, Pennsylvanians, Pennsylvanians were living in a grim reality. Republicans were dead set on circumventing the Democratic um, governor to legislate Pennsylvania backwards. Prokopiak is a 30-year-old resident of Levittown. He served as a Falls Township supervisor and is currently sits on Pensbury School Board. <clears throat> this is also an important thing, as an important connection, because, you know, in Pensbury School, he sits on a Pensbury School Board, and in Pensbury School Board was an example of where that they fought off the right-wing advance. And there was a, a significant effort put on getting rid of all the Democrats on that board, but instead they they campaign and they organized and they won a majority then they expanded their majority in there and he was kind of one of these folks right so he says quote most of my adult life i've been fighting to make lower bucks county a better place to live work and raise a family i decided to run because for too many in pennsylvania and in lower bucks county the american dream seems harder and harder to achieve Prokopiak said quote we need to create livable wages fully fund our public education system attain uh, create attainable housing 
and protect women's reproductive rights. And it goes on. Now, the Democratic added, this is a little bit further on, the Democratic candidate added that he cannot stand idly by and allow his opponent to help advance an extremist PA GOP agenda in Harrisburg. The MAGA extremist label is something that the Washington Post reported that Kavanaugh has been trying to run away from, going so far as to not mentioning she's a Republican on her campaign mailers and website and refusing to share with her voters her personal views on abortion. So this is huge stakes. Again, so if you are in the 104th, I'm sorry, 140th district, please, and you're listening to my voice, please, 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 I implore you to get out there and vote. Get out there and vote. It is going to be absolutely critical. The special election is tomorrow. It's run just like any other election. You have to go to your polling place, right? If you haven't got an absentee ballot already, but it is going to the 133, uh, I'm sorry, the 140th district. If you need to know what your district is and you're not sure, you can use your find your district tool, right? I'm going to post that right in today's show notes. I'm sorry, show notes. This is uh, in today's chat. Right, go and find out. If you are not sure, go in there, search your address, and see if you're in the 140th. It's in lower bucks. Right. Check it out. The 140th district includes 33 voting precincts across Morrisville Borough, Tullytown Borough, Falls Township, and some of Middletown Township. So please, if you are in that area, please make sure you get out. If you know people in that area, take a couple minutes, send them a message, send, you know, get them on Facebook, send them a text, or give them a call. Tell them, make sure they get out there to vote. It is absolutely critical that that election is won. <clears throat> In other news, uh, what else we got here? Oh, yeah, you may have seen this. This is another, this is a great piece by Pat LaMarche, also in the Bucks County Beacon. Um, she reported on this, uh, this new Bucks County report, NAACP, NAACP Bucks County report on policing it shows a need for reform, starting with competent data collection. So basically, there was a, um, you know, this ongoing issue about trying to figure out, um, well, are, you know, we hear anecdotally that there is an increase or, you know, that, that African-Americans and minorities in Bucks County were being kind of treated differently, right? They were more subjected to um, kind of violent treatment by the police, um, but nobody was keeping track of this stuff, right? So there was a push um, to get this done, right? Um, <clears throat> Here's how the article starts, and then I'll kind of tell you what some of the details. So several Christmases ago, Langhorn resident uh, Kama Sherman Knuckles and her husband hosted a family celebration. When one of the nephews got out of when one of the nephews got out of hand, Kama's husband asked him to leave. Quote, outside, he got even more belligerent. He started banging on the windows, throwing snow inside the house. We had kids inside. We didn't want to call the police, but we wanted to do the right thing. My husband ended up getting arrested. My husband ended up getting arrested on Christmas Day. Sherman Knuckles recalled the moment the police arrived. Her nephew had run off and her husband waited on the front lawn to explain to the officers, officers that after he, had, after he called for help, the young man had fled knowing the police were on their way. Sherman Knuckles watched as the police told her husband that he was under arrest. Oh, he struggled saying, no, it's not me. I'm not the one who, I'm the one who called you. The police then accused him of resisting arrest. 
couldn't believe their eyes for me. And they would spend their time looking. Uh, they should have spent their time looking for the nephew. A couple got a lawyer. They kind of went and this kind of went on. For Sherman Knuckles, the whole event was traumatizing. Quote, my husband wouldn't let me go to court. He told me he cried like a baby in the courtroom, pleading guilty to something he didn't do. I mean, this is just, I mean, this is so horrific about what, what, what kind of what went on. So stories like this have been told, people are hearing it. So Karen Downer, she's the president of NAACP of Bucks County, basically said, well, look, we need to kind of figure out what's going on. Nobody was kind of getting data on this situation. So we need to start collecting data as they started to report. Now, last week, the reimagining public safety um, team from the NAACP announced the results of their study, one that attempted to include all 39 municipal police departments of the county. However, depending on the information requested, as many 15 departments completely ignored the request for data. Intended to collect racial demographics on everything from traffic stops to the use of force and other complaints, the report instead revealed that, for the most part, none of the data existed. Unavailable at the local level, Downer and the members of her team thought they might access racial demographics regarding police interaction through the county government. Quote, we met with the commissioners and thought that they would have the information because they were the head of the government, but there really wasn't any oversight. That led us to finding out that they, law enforcement agencies, didn't have to keep track of the data in the same way. John Blevins, volunteer um, policy researcher and data analyst who drafted the report, put the deficient data he received from individual police departments up against the only racial data available, arrest statistics compiled by the Pennsylvania State Police and submitted to the FBI. Initially, the lack of information coming from local police departments surprised Blevin. Quote, I expect a lot more data to be publicly accessible, but there wasn't anything but state police data. We could only compare racial demographics for arrest and use of force that resulted in death or bodily injury, unquote. Based on lack of information collected from local police forces, there was no way to study the quantity or, or study to quantify the number of altercations with police and people of color. What they do know from the FBI data, depending on the offense, black and multi-race individuals are arrested at two to three times the frequency as their white counterparts, white counterparts. And it goes on. So this report, so now they're basically really pushing to make sure that you get one, you mandate the reporting of the data. So all this is going on, and then to find out um, what the actual statistics are. One other piece I wanted to find out, I just lost it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. No, <clears throat> I just lost it. So this was kind of a really, I mean, this is a great, again, this is what, <laughs> I mean, how many times, I mean, you know, how many times am I going to plug the Bucks County Beacon in my lifetime? I tell you, this is why you need reporting like this. This is why you need this kind of work, right? To basically, not only is the NAACP doing this work, right, that our county government didn't even have, didn't even have the data for, right? And that no one had pushed, well, I, I don't want to say no one, but no one had been successful as of yet in forcing police officers, uh, police departments to report kind of demographic data in terms of the results and in terms of their arrest and kind of encounters with individuals. Um, but now that report was issued and now the Bucks County Beacon reports on that. So we all get to know, right? Because, you know, look, frankly, work like this for the Bucks County uh, NAACP, this is not the first time they've done stuff like this right? Raise problems, gone and try to solve the problems. The difference is, is that now because of 
the Bucks County Beacon, right? And it's made it smaller outlets too because of people like the like uh, Pat Lamarche and because of the Bucks County Beacon, we get to read about it, and know what's going on, so that we can that take part in that. This is like such critical reporting. So definitely check that out. Um, I think that's about all I've got for this evening, folks. Um, I, I do want to kind of encourage you once again, if you have not already, um, look, I, I, look, I don't want to be the kind of social media pusher here. Um, but what I, what I will tell you is, and you've heard me talk about this uh, somewhat before, I just been increasingly frustrated with any time that I spend on Twitter or X. Um, I mean, what, I mean, I, seriously before elon musk this is just just a perfect example of this before elon musk took over i don't think if i had ever got like a follow request from a like you know like whatever quasi porn or phishing site if i ever got one of those it was so few it was so little that it's like, it, it just, I don't even remember it. Right. And since Musk took over, I mean, anytime I get a notification, I usually get notifications from other people from like Bucks County and things like this, who are involved in political work, say, Oh, you know, somebody decided to follow you and to follow them back and so on. I get bombarded with all these notifications and I'm sure you do too. And I'm like, you know, it's like, you know, whatever, some made up name has some picture of some scantily clad, you know, kind of young woman on it and says, follow me. And you look at their, their statistics and they have like, you know, there's like four followers and, but they follow like thousands of people to try to get them in on their scheme, right? Because somebody's trying to scam you. Somebody's trying to get money from you. Somebody's trying to get you to for this, use this, you know, thing. I mean, I'm like, what the hell is that? I don't even want to be on a site that's going to do that. And then let's see, I just got a bunch of notifications. I'm just curious. Oh no, this is all good stuff from Emily. <laughs> I'm just checking. Um, oh, but that's on blue sky. All right. Cause I'm on blue sky right now. Right. Um, but anyway, so, so I mean, Twitter, I, I just look, that used to be my go-to place for kind of, uh, kind of politics. It used to be the go place where, you know, build up followers. I want to push out this show out onto social media accounts. And that's how we got kind of like more, you know, more people to follow and participate in our program to give us information. Um, that's where I found guests and all this. And I, I frankly, I just don't really want to be on that site very much anymore. And, you know, and frankly, this, you know, I, I tried, I tried Mastodon, right? When Mastodon first came out as an alternative and like, it's a cool place, right? But it's not what I, what I want ultimately. Like I, for me, I'm not a person who, who just, who spends a lot of time just kind of like on social media all the time, right? Kind of talking with people and going back and forth. For me, I, I've kind of got this kind of mindset of like, you know, this is part of like the political work I do. You know, these are the people, the political folks I want to kind of engage with, <coughs> share information, you know, promote what we do here in Raging Chicken. And that's that's pretty much it. Mastodon is really kind of like an attempt at a community, right? Building up these communities and kind of uh, communities and people online. It's really it's a really nice space, but it's just not it's not a replacement for Twitter. And threads looks they look promising kind of initially, right? Kind of coming out there. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of dead, right? There's not a whole lot going to going on there in the way. Um, but blue sky has been pretty cool, right? I mean, blue sky has been, um, a, a space that, um, that I hope 
is going to kind of fill out a little bit. And so, like I said, you know, look, if you haven't got a Blue Sky account, they just open things up, right? You don't need an invite anymore. I was tonight, I had full, fully expected next time I talked to the other, I was going to say, hey, look, I got a bunch of invites that I'm going to send out anybody who wants them, but they just got rid of that. So anybody can join, right? So basically, they had, you know, invite only for kind of the longest time because they were trying to kind of, you know, slowly roll things out to make sure that, you know, things were going to work the way that they were supposed to work. It's actually a good practice to do. Um, I finally got an invite thanks to the folks. Um, um, <coughs> sorry. Um, <coughs> sorry. I just got a little. <coughs> Woo. Sorry. I just kind of got there anyways. Um, but, uh, you know, thanks to the folks at the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast who basically had some extra invites. Uh, they shot me one and I was able to kind of get on at that point to kind of figure out how it goes on. Um, but I'll, you know, encourage you, like, if you are someone who's is on social media, does this kind of political work, help, has helped sh you know, share the show in the past, and you're as sick as um, of Twitter uh, that I am, um, you can head on. I just dropped the link in today's chat. That's the, um, the one for Blue Sky. And uh, I'm going to drop in my um, uh, Raging Chickens um, RC Press on blue sky. So if you do head over there, um, please give me a follow and I'll follow you back um, so that we can um, kind of stay in touch there. So that's pretty cool. Anyways, um, I have this feeling in the back of my head, this nagging feeling in the back of my head that uh, I forgot something that I wanted to talk about tonight, but that's just going to have to have to do because <laughs> that's my brain. Uh, I got to get ready for a snow day tomorrow. Um, what does that mean to get ready for it? Not a whole lot. It just means that, uh, um, my kids are going to be home. I don't know if I am going to have to report to work tomorrow or not. Um, as of earlier this, uh, this afternoon, Kutztown still had not yet called uh, a snow day tomorrow. So I don't know. Um, there's a winter weather alert. As, oh. Nope. I uh, do not need to go to campus tomorrow because classes will not begin at Kutztown University until 4.30 p.m. tomorrow. Um, so I'm home too as well. There you go. So apparently this is uh, real. The last I checked, let me go check the, the weather update now for those folks who are here in uh, Bucks County and uh, who have been following the weather too as well. Um, the latest weather alert is saying that we will be getting about between four and seven inches of snow. Uh, that's going to begin kind of overnight tonight, but the rain comes first and it says heavy so snow is expected. So uh, we shall see. Um, I hope so. Stay safe tomorrow is basically my point. That was the whole point of this <laughs> is make sure you stay safe. If you're kind of out and around tomorrow, um, if you're in this neck of the woods, or if you're in any of the place where the storm is impacting, the storms have been pretty brutal. Um, everything from what we've seen in uh, out in California uh, with the storms, the damage that's happened out there all throughout the South. Uh, you know, this is little, uh, unfortunately, little windows into our climate future, but uh, it is what it is. So we're going to try to keep safe in the meantime. And um, yeah, we'll see what we can do. So for now, everybody, uh, I'm going to call it for this evening. Uh, thanks, everybody, for stopping by. Uh, thanks for the comments, Emily and Amy. Uh, it's great knowing that there's kind of folks out there. We've got stuff going on. 
Uh, look forward to the show again on this Friday, uh, February 12th. I'm sorry, February 16th, I think is what it is. Please tell me that. Um, we'll be having Catherine Joyce. Uh, we're going to be talking about her art, latest article in Vanity Fair called How the Right, How the Right, the Far Right Took Over a Pennsylvania School Board and How Parents Took It Back. That is the article that I've been waiting somebody to write on the Penridge School District that has gone national. It's absolutely fantastic. Catherine Joyce has been on the show before. Her work is phenomenal. And I'll let you know as soon as we have a time nailed down. Um, at the same time, uh, and February 22nd, we'll have Stephen Oros, and ideally his lawyer will be joining us too as well. We're going to talk about his victory in federal court against Kutztown University's discrimination case. So there you go. All right, everybody, this is Kevin Mahoney, uh, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Um, have a good day, everybody. Be safe tomorrow. If you're someone who enjoys the show, enjoy, enjoy the snow, I'm sorry, please uh, go out and enjoy it. The rest of you.